0: Welcome to the Demon, or as my friends call it Udeman commentary on the daily demon one of the internet's longest continuously running blogs philosophy religion current events even some politics all from a catholic perspective all right welcome to the weekly you demand i'm going to start off with something i just found absolutely hysterical if you haven't seen it yet you got to see that guy from the weather channel the anchorman standing out in the middle of hurricane florence acting like he's about blame blown over uh by the wind and then you see these two dudes just go strolling by like there's like they're walking through a a spring shower it's the more you watch it watch at least three times <laughs> the more you watch him try to get his footing and the stuff like he's getting ready to fall down it's just it's it's uh, it's priceless um I also like the weather channel re- responding that uh no no he really was you know in peril so to speak the, but the grass was wet and he was really tired <laughs> so like I said it's 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 funny and, and again I, I'm gonna I'm gonna launch off on this in a second first and foremost trust me it's funny you got to watch it. But now let's talk about something more serious. The media can't be trusted. Okay, and I've harped on this in articles I've written over the years. It's much more than a tradition of um, integrity. The American press has a history and tradition of dishonesty. You can look at William Randolph Hearst and Yellow Journalism, basically fabricating Spanish atrocities in order to start the Spanish-American War, which... Arguably launched our current foreign policy, uh, which is atrocious, which is really a type of imperialism without taking territory. But more on that some other time. Um, you can look at Lincoln Steffens um, going to the USSR and reporting back on Stalin, and Russia, and not mentioning the atrocities. Although I'm not sure how much he was duped and how much he was as an active. Um, He's actively complicit with Stalin. Malcolm Muggeridge would point that th- same thing out later on about the Soviet Union. That yeah, you know, basically the reporters back in back in the West are just dishonest. You simply can't trust the press, and it's not just some dude. <coughs> excuse me, some dude standing in the rain, uh, losing his foot. In. it's more than that. Uh, little things like the big game starts at seven o'clock, and sometimes it means seven o'clock, sometimes it means seven twenty, sometimes it means eight fifteen. Um, big things um 60 minutes has repeatedly uh been bogus like the alar apple scare it it's over and over and over again you simply can't trust it and you you know i know the response is well they're just trying to get ratings well that that doesn't get it that's basically saying you know they want ratings so they can get more money so if it's important to them like getting money they're willing to lie and deceive you know if if i did that my practice the practice of law. If I told a guy, "Hey, you got the speeding ticket. You, you you're in big, big trouble. You're heading to the gulag for like twenty years. You got to plop down twenty five thousand dollar retainer on my on my desk so I can help fight this traffic ticket for you." I'd lose my license. You just don't tolerate that type of exaggeration um, and dishonesty in any profession. Doctors, if they did the same thing. They'd 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 lose their license as well. But for some reason, in the press. We tend to kind of wink and laugh at it and act like that's just the way things are, and we really shouldn't. I mean, if that's the way things are, and and they are, um, the press can't be trusted. You know, the, the press or media dishonesty. It's it's um it's important for a lot of reasons, and the question is, who do you trust? I actually did a theology tap on such um session on this last spring. Yeah, there's there's a thing called epistemology, or the problem of knowledge, or as I kind of phrase in this in this segment, you know, how do you know anything? Um, so, for instance, I'm not a big fan of statin drugs. Um, when my cholesterol got high, uh, doctor gave an ultimatum, said you gotta, you know, basically get it down below 150, preferably closer to 100, or you gotta go on a statin drug. You're just being foolish not to. So I got radical. and went vegan. Or partially vegan, a vegan who cheats a lot. Um and brought down about, I think, one eighteen. It was at 155, brought down 118. Then arguably still dropping. We'll, we'll find out next year when I get tested again. But, you know, you say, well Shusky, how you know, why don't you trust statins? And it's like, well, because um I read a couple articles, in particular a New York Times op-ed by a Harvard lecturer on cardiology or cardiologist, whatever. Well that's that's not much. Okay he say, well, Eric, your doctor read like 20 articles or in journal articles and whatnot about the goodness of statins and how, how well they work. And my response to that is fine. I, I, I believe the leading journal is the New England uh, Journal of Medicine. And back in the early 2000s, their editor resigned and said that the, the pharmaceutical companies were driving the research and the literature. I mean, that that is absolutely positively horrible. So even medical journals, you can't trust them. And so, you know, my response whenever someone tells me something about the weather, you know, uh, about global warming, um, or health, um, what's happening in Argentina, I honestly I I don't I don't believe it. Um, and it's not because I don't believe the person telling me, but like on the statin thing, it's like, did you run the test yourself? Uh if you didn't, I don't know to hear about it. Um and obviously that kind of Bogs you down if you never make up your mind about anything because you have imperfect knowledge. You'll never make up your mind about anything because all we have is imperfect knowledge, and it's only gotten a lot, lot worse here in modern society as the world's gotten far, far, far more complicated than say 500 years ago. You know, if you basically you'll be uh, paralyzed or paralysis by analysis, uh, but paralyzed if you don't act unless you act on imperfect knowledge so how do you act intelligently um and I realize these two segments could be the same but I'm really trying to keep my segments at three to five minutes in length each anyway um in my position is you basically need to develop a worldview you need to have a set of premises from which you work um, in my Catholic worldview <laughs> that's kind of the the um the, the natural law tradition, those give you premises. You know, St. Paul, you know, uh, the law is written on the human heart type thing. Uh, granted, um, that history of deduction is what it's called. You have induction, deduction. The history of deduction was uh, made derisible in large part um, by Francis Bacon and others who basically said all these, these premises that the medievals got from Aristotle and arguably or at least um, supposedly they slavishly followed Uh, bacon others said no 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 get rid of all those premises and you don't believe anything unless you can prove it that's that's induction and that's like the scientific method empiricism Um, that kind of won the day and people kind of threw over premises in favor of induction the problem with induction as as david hume pointed out and David Hume, I this guy I guess was uh I think he was an agnostic, just sarcastic. I guess a pretty ugly guy, but as funny as hell. Basically, after after um the the empiricists have been attacking religion being stupid, Hume said, Well, look, I agree with you, is stupid, but your stuff is stupid too. Because just because something happened like this yesterday, it doesn't mean it's gonna keep on happening like that over and over as time goes on. And Hume demolished it. Demolish that premise. This would have been right around the time of the Declaration of Independence. He was part of the Scottish Enlightenment, with like Adam Smith. And, and by the way, that comes forward. You know, the big hot topic today is uh, postmodernism, uh, preached by uh, Thaddeus Russell. Um, basically, you know, basically the whole premise is just because you've seen something in the past doesn't mean it's going to be that way in the future. And I have a lot of sympathy for postmodernism, if nothing else, because. Um, it's it's an intellectual heir of David Hume, who demolished uh, scientism, and I, I appreciate that um, they made fun of my man religion and David Hume smashed science anyway, but it's it's a big problem um, as what to believe. I, I personally, again, my, mine is a um, mine is a Catholic perspective, and I and I think that's I think it's necessary for everyone to develop a worldview and then deduce truths from that. but then backfill with evidence you get from induction, the type of evidence. Um, you can see this, by the way, in the lives of uh, von Mises, who is very much a, a deductionist, I guess, uh, I guess that's a word. And then Hayek, who agreed with a lot of what von Mises did, but he kind of backfilled with a lot of empirical economic facts. And I think that's really the only way um, to, to work things through. And I'm, I'm going to stay on this topic a little bit longer. Sorry for the unorthodox approach. If you've been listening to the podcast, you'll know that I typically jump around quite a bit. And here, this podcast is basically <clears throat> going down the, the same um, same theme for, for quite a while yet. All a little bit different. Hopefully, you'll find it entertaining. But anyway, I, I, can, I can hear the, the, the idiots out there right now saying, oh, so you have this Catholic perspective. That makes you closed-minded. Um, and it doesn't be Catholic. Oh, you have a Jewish perspective, or you have an Islamic perspective, or you have a scientific perspective, whatever it is, but by stating a premise or a worldview, you're somehow closed minded. And that's that's just simply absurd. It's the worldview lets you be open minded. I mean, if you're if you're if you're gonna um catch a baseball, you need to get under it. You need to have a firm ground underneath you. If your feet are out from under you, you're not going to catch the baseball. A premise gives you the footing you need either to attack your opponents, defend your position, or shift your position. You can't shift your feet if you have no ground beneath you. So um, if you have a certain premise based on, again, your Catholic worldview, that's fine. Um, as If evidence comes to light, you may need to adjust accordingly um th- that's really 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 hard to do by the way um depending on what it is i mean if it's something that's a fundamental dogma uh as aristotle uh, excuse me as a pointed out the facts are never going to contravene it you can't have that you can't have two sets of truths that was uh the intellectual mistake of uh, i believe it was abelard who basically thought well some things be true by faith other things true by fact or by science and uh, Aquinas pointed out and no, all that that's absurd, but the whole premise is you need to develop a worldview a set of premises, and from there you backfill <laughs> and you form conclusions, and that will allow you to act your your level of knowledge will still be imperfect, but at least you have a base from which to to launch yourself If you don't have that, you're gonna be like that dude in Seinfeld um who was going to get a vasectomy because Elaine didn't want any kids. And then she said, "Maybe I do want kids." He's like, "Oh yeah, maybe I want kids too." He just constantly vacillated, changes position, no matter what. It's kind of comical. You can you can read it. It's called "The Soulmate." That's that's a solid. Uh, I think is is a later episode, uh, season seven, season eight, something like that. Um. If, so if you don't have a solid worldview that that you've developed, that doesn't mean just go out and read in the New York Times and repeating what they say. <laughs> if you don't have a worldview that's what you're going to do. You're going to just go out and just gather a bunch of random information and kind of just regurgitate it. And that's going to be your opinion on things. And your opinion is going to be worthless. Uh, Granted, my opinion, um, people who are smarter than me, who have a worldview, uh, who have more, more wisdom and knowledge, um, their opinion is going to be imperfect as well, but at least it's better formed. And that's all that's the best you can do. All right. Um, Saturday, I posted a tweet. Uh, there's an article to to an op-ed by Peter Wolfgang. I, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Who basically thinks Pope Francis's uh, papacy is uh, God's will? which Obviously, it is. Um, everything is, for that matter. But in particular, as Catholics, we believe that you know the um, the papacy or the Pope is guided or in, Francis's case, I guess, protected by the Holy Spirit, not to fall into too great of error, can't commit heresy, for instance. Um, Wolfgang's perspective is that no, no, this this whole thing with Francis, it, it prompted Vigano to publish the articles, you know, the eleven-page article um, laying out <coughs> of Pope Francis's sins, and among among others. And again, that's great, but he basically says it brought light to everything, and now all the scoundrels in the Vatican are are now exposed. And in the bright to the bright light, and that basically, when the next pope comes, there'll be a reckoning. Um Could be. I mean, hallelujah. I mean, that that that's a, a positive, a way of looking at this at this debacle of a situation at the Vatican and in the Catholic Church as a whole. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I mean, Francis has done a lot to purge. Um, you know, look at um Burke, for instance. Uh, he's done a lot to. Uh, that might to purge, um, the church of uh, Orthodox type thinkers. Um, and he's packing the Episcopate with Cardinals who think like he does, or at least they're, you know, liberals. Um, and again, I hate to do that cause it makes it sound so cotton picking political. And I'm not, I mean, Francis is definitely a, um, a liberal. Um, he's, I, I've called him the most political Pope since the Borgias. Um, and, and I think he's like a, 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 a by the way, a quick tangent. I don't think he's a particularly bright person, um, at least cons- compared to Benedict Sixteenth and John Paul II. I think that's a lot of the problem. I and others, I think, sometimes impute ill motives to him. And he may have just be dealing with a guy who's just not real bright, um, uh, pretty provincial um, in his outlook, um, informed by the politics <coughs> of, of Argentina, uh, Juan Perón the Peronistas, which they always kind of demagogue the poor um to implement large government programs that would bankrupt the country. There's no reason Argentina should be um a train wreck of an economy like it keeps, you know, it's up and down, up and down because of the the, the Peronistas, in, in my limited opinion. Um but I, I think that maybe Pope Francis's sin, so to speak, is he's just Argentinian and he thinks like one and doesn't really think like he doesn't seem to be really knowledgeable about, or doesn't really appreciate that the, the horrors of, of communism. So he'd go to Cuba for two or three weeks after Castro's death and not utter a word about Castro's atrocities against the church. But, but anyway, quite frankly, I forget where I am here. Um, but in, in, in Francis's situation, he, he is actually, packing people who I think think like him. And again, I'm not, he's not packing with Argentinians, so I'm not sure he's really packing people who think like him. But, you know, you look at the likes of Kupich, um, who has no business being a cardinal. Um, and I'm drawing blank. I had a long, long weekend, a lot of lot of social obligations. Um, the guy, uh, Chaput, or Chaput, how do you pronounce his name? Chaput, uh, Bishop Chapu, He would have been the first Native American, um, Born, born Native American cardinal, and been a very good multicultural type pick, but the guy is fiercely conservative, and Pope Francis, you know, completely overlooked him. So my point is, well, what's the next pope going to look like? I think the best thing we can hope for is maybe like a moderate, like uh, I think maybe Christoph Chamborn, um, something like that. Um, but again, as I, you know, I have doubts whether this op-ed is going to come to light. I mean, there's some serious problems in the church, and I. A lot of people, the, the homosexual network, and others causing the problem I think are kind of um, have a very sympathetic ear with the current pope. So anyway, I, I salute him for finding a um a, a bright um a bright outline, a possibility. But I I'm skeptical. All right, now to the topic I really want to discuss this week: um, the, the weatherman dude and the problem of knowledge, and then that uh, article out but uh, Francis kind of took precedence. But what I really want to talk about is from the uh, Wednesday post, Econ Talks um, new reading group about um, for social needs in the first circle. Um, I'm actually tempted to join the reading group. I, I know I won't. Uh, te- I'm tempted to. Um, but it, it's it's a great podcast. I, I can't go into all the details. I mean, and for those who aren't aware, you're basically social needs in – Came back from World War II, wrote a letter that was mildly, I mean, really, really mildly critical of Stalin. And he had gone to the gulag. Um, he got like 10 years. They mentioned a joke on Econ Talk about the gulag. One prisoner walks up to another and says, um, how long are you here for? And he goes, oh, 10 years. He goes, what did you do? And the prisoner said, nothing. And the one said, you, you can't be here for nothing. For that, you only get eight years. Um, but, but it's it's a great podcast. It talks about Solzhenitsyn. He, he gets out of the Gulag under under Khrushchev after Stalin dies. There's like a like a like a spring of sorts, a little thawing, and some you know, something's allowed to be published, including um, Solzhenitsyn's um, "A Day in the Life of Ivan Desinovich. Um I am mispronouncing that, but it's close. A novella, uh, something that never ever would have been gotten published under Stalin, just to say the least, and would have gotten him in the Gulag for the rest of his life. Um, Brezhnev never comes to power, and basically, uh, Solzhenitsyn comes comes to the United States, and he tells everyone, you know, the atrocities that were under under Stalin. Um, it reminds me of a, one of my father's favorite um, historians was Robert Conquest. And by the way, this next section, this session is a little bit PG thirteen just because I am quoting; I am not swearing for the sake of it, though. But Robert Conquest was a historian who wrote, like, The Great Famine and other books about Russia, basically saying the USSR is killing people by the tens of millions. You know, Stalin was killing the kulaks or the, the peasants. And the American intellectuals and communists in the West refused to believe it. And they derided them and mocked them. Well, after 1991, after the wall fell, communism kind of came crashing down. Um, the archives showed that Robert Conquest was 100% correct. And he was being, being interviewed once, and They they asked this venerable author, now much older, I don't know how old he was, but they asked him, um, so what do you think now that your views have been vindicated, what, what would you say? And he said, uh, I would say, I told you so, you stupid motherfuckers. <laughs> that, was, that was this uh, venerable uh, author's uh, perspective on it, or response to everyone who, who had laughed at him over the years. But anyway, I've, I've long been fascinated by things Russian. You should really go check out um, that Econ Talk Takwa uh, episode. It's with uh, Kevin McKenna. It's called Kevin McKenna on Social Needs in the Soviet Union and in the First Circle. And by the way, as long as I'm on the topic of the USSR, if you did not see The Death of Stalin, the movie that came out in 2017 starring Steve Buscemi, you got to get it. It's a, uh, it's just hilarious. And and I don't know a lot about the days following the death of Stalin, but I know enough to realize it's it's definitely portraying it somewhat accurately, um, and just the overall just um that had become Soviet Union the dangerous absurdity that become the Soviet Union under Stalin, and this the the, the comical repercussions of it are just just hilarious. I mean. Definitely the best movie I've seen in two thousand eighteen, maybe in the past five years, and you got to watch it. Um, you don't want the kids around screaming. Um, you definitely, you know, definitely watch it and listen to the dialogue, but it's definitely worth, worth, worth the rental. That's it for this episode of the Weekly Demon. If you want more information, please go to the Daily dot com. We also have a Twitter and Facebook page. Thanks for listening.